Welcome to the first official Defend the House podcast, an NFL guide to team building. I'm Mason LeBeau, and I'm very excited as I record this, and I'm especially excited for when you finally hear it. This podcast has been months of preparation, research, production, procrastination, and editing to finally get here, and I'm very excited that it's finally here. So thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I truly appreciate it. Next week will be the first true general manager evaluation, and I have a great guest lined up for that one as well. But this week, for the first episode, I'm not directly evaluating the team building process or GM, but it is heavily discussed. It's in the same vein. I just wanted to do something a little bit different at first, and I have another great guest lined up for it. and ended up being fascinating to discuss. It was a really interesting topic, so uh, let's just get into that. I like it when an era is parallel to a specific decade. So drafted in 2009 and playing his final season in 2020, there's a perfect start and ending time-wise to this era. Matthew Stafford would only go on to become the fastest quarterback to reach 45,000 passing yards, throw for 282 touchdowns, and own 30 of the Lions franchise passing records during this time, so it's safe to say he was pretty good. But in a league so dominated by passing offenses where teams are so often made or broken by quarterback play, it's interesting that the Lions didn't get a single playoff win in the 2010s. So that's what we're here to look at today. This is an examination of the 2010s Lions, the roster building, the personnel decisions, the games that were won and lost, all during the Matthew Stafford era in Detroit. I did a lot of research myself, but you often need a fan's perspective to really understand the deeper meaning behind decisions and what actually went down. So I reached out to Jeremy Reisman, the editor-in-chief of Pride of Detroit, to help me out here today. All right, Jeremy, thank you very much for joining me on this. I really am going to appreciate your insight. I want to start with everything. You can shout out everything you need to. And also just give me the background check on your fandom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the editor-in-chief over at Pride of Detroit. Um, my Lions fandom really just goes back to, to my childhood. Um, grew up in, in a suburb of Detroit. Had season tickets with my, my whole family through the Silverdome, Silverdome years. Moved into Ford Field and really had season tickets up until 2008, uh, ironically, which is right before the Matthew Stafford era began but um i started writing about the team right around that time so pretty much have been in tune with the lions since my childhood uh, and then kind of in a professional fashion really since i would say the early 2010s i really appreciate jeremy taking time and talking to me about this he gave me a lot of great insight into the last decade of lions football and you'll be hearing my interview with him throughout this podcast we'll be getting into a lot of detail behind the decisions lions made over this time but first my friend nick Hey, buddy. How's it going? Oh, hey, Mason. It's <laughs> it's going well. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Scratch it. Start over. I heard you laugh. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah. Start over. We, it's good. We're good. Um. So you only own one jersey, right? Wait, you're going to keep that? So whose jersey? Who's, whose jersey is that? Uh, I own a Matthew Stafford jersey. Number nine. Yeah. Yeah. Remember who got you? But that's soon to be uh, two jerseys that I'm going to own. Oh, you're and yes, one? I do remember who got that. You got me that for Christmas one year, and I'm very uh, thankful for that. Hell yeah. Wait, what jersey are you going to get next? Uh, I mean, take your wildest guess. Come on. Penny Sewell? Yeah, damn right. That's pretty sick. So the Stafford era has dominated your life as a tween through young adulthood. So as kind of a irrational, you know, younger fan that we all have been, how has being a fan of the Lions treated you? Well, 
I think there's an answer you want to hear. <laughs> well, and then there's the answer, answer that I'm going to give you. Okay. And the answer I'm going to give you is I'm proud to be a Lions fan. Good. Um, you know, I like the energy that the team has. And although we haven't had much to show for, as in our legacy, uh, I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel, uh, which uh, has been a very long and dark tunnel. Um there's uh, potential there, and I'm glad that we're finally in a full rebuild, and we're wiping the slate clean. It's been all right being a Lions fan. <laughs> it's, been all right. it's about to be better. <laughs> okay. Are you still rooting for Stafford in L.A.? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, I'm ex- very excited uh, to see Stafford grow, and I hope he gets a ring. I really do. Right. I mean, let's be honest. The Lions aren't going to get a ring this year, so... <laughs> Let it be the Rams. All right. Fair enough. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Nick. Anyway, when studying the Stafford Lions, we're really going to have to break this up into chunks, and that begins with the first coach, the Jim Schwartz era. 2009 and 2010. Obviously, this era began on the heels of the 0-16 season, so there was a lot of work to do. Head coach Jim Schwartz, offensive coordinator Scott Linehan, and newly promoted general manager Martin Mayhew all came in the same year Stafford was drafted, so this would be the important group of men that would dictate the beginning of his career. Rookie Stafford went 13 touchdowns to 20 interceptions, a little over 2,000 yards, and 53% completion, over 10 games. Those Lions went 2-14 in 09. It was a rough year, but Stafford was a rookie, and his team was bad, bad the year prior. The problem more so would be that he had only played three games in 2010. He suffered a shoulder injury in Week 1, would come back later in the season only to re-aggravate it and be shut down as a result. However, those Lions went 6-10, almost entirely without Stafford, so that's great progress. The important players O added over these two years would be defensive tackle Nakamadong Sue, safety Louis Delmas, tight end Brandon Pettigrew, linebacker DeAndre Levy, wide receiver Nate Burleson, linebacker Kyle Vandenbosch, and tight end Tony Scheffler. Most of those guys came through the draft, some of them through free agency. At minimum, those are good players, and of course, Sue was great, so this is a good foundation to begin the next decade on. There was some upside here, but Detroit wants to start winning, and they need their young quarterback to not just start playing well going into year three, but play it all after just being in 13 of 32 possible games coming off that own 16th season. So you gotta have it. So when he was in that rookie and second season, was there any early skepticism that may have been alleviated later, but early on you wondering if this guy could even you know stay on the field for full 16 yeah a hundred percent i mean you know how fans are they're gonna start panicking they're gonna start calling him injury prone they're gonna start blaming the lions for for not seeing this coming somehow they're gonna blame the lions for maybe not protecting him um but yeah i, I think you see how reactionary the the world is today it probably wasn't as bad back then because twitter wasn't either a thing or as yeah, much of a exactly. thing back then um, but but yeah, there was definitely some current concern. I, I believe there was even uh, a Lions fan or Lions player who was once quoted as calling him a China doll. Oh, um, man. that was a, a quote that went viral um, for a while. And so, yeah, there was definitely some concern after those first two years. But at the same time, there were moments where people were like, this is this could be the guy. You, I mean, the, the most telling moment is is the one that has now been, you know, played. I've seen Rams fans now see this for the first time, but in his rookie season against the Browns, week uh, oh, week eleven, yeah. oh yeah, the 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 game that he got his shoulder separated and where he came, the the lines came from behind. You know, they were it was a shootout game, 
Um, they needed an absolute prayer to win this game. Stafford goes back from about the 40-yard line, throws essentially a Hail Mary to Calvin Johnson, gets his shoulder separated as he's coming to the ground. It falls incomplete, but there's a flag on the play. Pass interference. Hey, that's the time I can play, right? No, 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 Yeah, no, no, no. give me, get the, help me up. I can throw the ball if you need me to throw the ball. Hey, hey, hey. I can throw the ball if you need me to throw the ball. Is Stafford coming back in? I think Stafford will come back in the game. I did not think he was going to come back. Kind of stuff that endears you to a city. Well, what will endear him to a city right now? Is if they get in the end zone and Jason Hansen kicks the extra point to win it. Look what Look what Last play of the game. Takes the snap. Rolls, rolls, end zone. Touchdown. It's unbelievable. That kid just showed some real grit. Because he is still hurting. Hansen ready. Snap good, spot down, kick on the way, it's up, it's good, and it's over! The Lions with a victory! That was the moment people were thinking of after the two seasons of injuries, not the fact that he had been so injured. That sound was courtesy of NFL Films, just to cover my bases here. Easily one of the best videos in all of football. Look it up on YouTube. Highly, highly recommend it. So we get to 2011. There's a lot of expectations going into this season. The only free agent signing of note was linebacker Steven Tulloch, and their draft was interesting as well. They go defensive tackle in back-to-back years with their first pick. This time, Nick Farley out of Auburn, but they also take running back Mikhail LeSure in the second, just a year after taking running back Javid Best, 30th overall. So up top, they more or less repeat their drafts in the early rounds, which is odd. Maybe the most interesting pick, though, would be wide receiver Titus Young out of Boise State. We'll get back to him eventually. So we get to the season, and they start off 5-0, so there's that for living up to the hype. Over the season, Matthew Stafford would throw it 663 times for 5,000 yards, 41 touchdowns, and 16 interceptions. At the time, that was the fifth most yards in NFL history, but remember, this is the season a lot of quarterbacks go insane. So despite that, he was still just third in the league for passing yardage. And despite the running back investments, the Lions have abandoned the run. They pass for two-thirds of all plays and run almost everything out of shotgun. So balance out the window. But to today, this is the highest scoring Lions offense in their own history. Everything really just came together to make this year happen. Matthew Stafford finally breaks out. Calvin Johnson has one of his finest seasons. And Brandon Pettigrew, Nate Burleson, and Titus Young all act as excellent second, third, and fourth options. They each get into that 700 yards and five-ish touchdowns category. So they finish 10-6. and six. They make their first playoffs in over 20 years. Tell me about 2011. It seems like everything kind of finally came through for you guys. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild ride as, as a Lions fan. You know, they hadn't made the playoffs since I, I think it was 1999. And so this was just kind of a wild ride of a season where everything clicked with with Stafford I mean you had Scott Linehan there who was just kind of the guy that would would let Stafford be Stafford let him kind of be the guy who throws it a million times a, day, a game throws it downfield and you see it show up on the stat sheet. You, you see him pass a 5,000 yards in just in, in his first full season playing all 16 games he throws for 41 touchdowns both those totals are something he still hasn't re- recreated since and the Lions win 10 games and, and make the playoffs for the first time and it's just Every doubt I think that anyone had about Matthew Stafford erased in an instant because 
He took this team from 0-16 to the playoffs in really one year, if you really consider that his first full season. Um, That's something that I don't think anyone really considered a quarterback was capable of in Detroit. And and you're right. Like there was definitely uh, a lot happening around him. The defense was getting better. They, they had a run game um, for the first time in a long time. Javid best was one of the more exciting uh, young players on the team at the time. And um, things were just clicking and, you know, it, it didn't result in, in much in, in the postseason. you know, they, they kind of got blown out by the saints there, but they hung with them for a half and, you know, Avid Lions fans will tell you that they got robbed of a, a, def- a defensive touchdown early in that game that could have potentially swung things. But the Saints were definitely the better team in that game. Unfortunately, the Saints were just the better team. Even at 13-3, and they were just the third seed in the NFC that year behind great 49ers and Packers teams. And as a result, the Lions drew them for their wildcard matchup. This Saints team was a well-oiled machine. Drew Brees threw for 46 touchdowns and over 5,000 yards himself. Jimmy Graham has broken out at tight end. Marquise Colston always has a great year. Darren Sproles is this excellent mismatch out of the backfield. And their defense was around league average as well. The Lions defense this game was simply helpless. The Saints never punt and they gained 626 offensive yards. Stafford has some success of his own with 380 yards, 3 touchdowns, and 2 interceptions. And really the Lions do hang close. It's only 24-21 Saints going into the 4th quarter. But that's when New Orleans takes over. They score 21 fourth quarter points and shut it down before the Lions ever really threatened to take the game. So not the greatest ending, but 2011 was still wildly successful for Matt Stafford and the Lions. 2012. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure coming off a playoff season to improve on the last year. In terms of the moves they make, they draft offensive tackle Riley Reef in the first round, wide receiver Ryan Broyles in the second, and nothing else of note. And there's no major free agency signings either. This is mostly a year where they're just going to run it back and hope to improve on the success they had. Which starts out fine enough. They go 4-4, which includes a blowout win against Jacksonville, and an impressive victory over a young Legion of Boom Seahawks team. Calvin Johnson goes off. This is the year where he breaks several NFL records. He has a 1,900-yard season. It's one of his best years. Nakamadong Su and now Nick Farley both have all-pro years themselves, so the top-end talent of this team is really, really good. Everything else was bad, and everything else falls off. I don't know what it was about that season. It was it was bizarre. I, th- I think that might be the best way to put it. And a lot of the the players that I think the Lions were planning on being part of their future were no longer part of the future. Javid Best suffers a con- concussion in 2011, doesn't play another game in football after that. Um, Titus Young, um, a, a young, promising wide receiver, basically just goes mad. Um dealing with a lot of mental health issues eventually 2012 turns out to be his final season in in the nfl um and nothing worked i mean the offense is still good the offense is still putting up crazy yards matthew stafford is still throwing for for almost 5,000 yards again 4,900 um but the touchdowns weren't there the interceptions start to creep up which is something that that we kind of saw after that 2011 season that that, that eventually leads to a, a bit of a shift in in the lions plans with him i think um, and you know, the defense is just kind of okay. It, or, or, you know, in terms of points allowed bad, the lions further lose any semblance of balance. While Mikel Ashore did provide a lead back role. They only slightly improved on the ground overall. Calvin Johnson was getting force fed mostly because the rest of the receivers fell off. Titus Young's character issues that caused him to drop in the draft in the first place only continued to get worse. And he'd be deactivated from the roster before Thanksgiving. 
Nate Burleson would get hurt midseason. And Brandon Pettigrew and Tony Scheffler as second and third options were simply was not stressing defenses. As a result, the team struggled in the red zone. Notably, Calvin Johnson, despite 200-plus targets, only caught five touchdowns. So after a 4-4 four four start, they would finish the season 0-8. Stafford threw it 700-plus times. A complete lack of ball control put an already bad defense at a further disadvantage, and they would finish 27th overall. They were finding impressive ways to lose. Late in the season, they lost three consecutive games where they were leading in the final two minutes of the game. Most notably, on Thanksgiving against the Ravens, running back Justin Forsett ran for an 81-yard touchdown late in the game. He was clearly down by contact very early into the run, and every scoring play is automatically reviewed. It was going to come back, but an eager Jim Schwartz threw a challenge flag unnecessarily, which at the time resulted in a penalty and negated the review. So the touchdown would stand, and Detroit would go on to lose in overtime. If that sounds like a dumb rule, it's because it is, and that rule would later be changed, just nothing would happen. So, yeah, the Lions got screwed there, but at least that rule doesn't exist anymore. You know, an overtime loss to the Eagles, an overtime loss to the Titans, that that was one of the more crazy games you'll ever see. The, the Lions actually tied that game on a Hail Mary to Titus Young and then lose in overtime. But, uh, I mean, they were competitive in most of these games, and they were probably better than their final record look, but... Uh, in the end, I think a lot of it was just a lot of players didn't live up to, to what I think um, they had showed in 2011. And yeah, like you said, this was just kind of a, a supreme step back. I think 2012 set a dangerous precedent for the rest of the Stafford era in Detroit. The front office was not aggressive in improving the team after a successful season. And as a result, when things didn't go right, the issues they had prior compounded further. The 2011 Lions was clearly a flawed team, but they had a strength. And general manager Martin Mayhew went very passive in his approach the next offseason and essentially ran back the same team. And instead of things going right and hiding certain flaws, everything that could have gone wrong for the 2012 team did. 2013. So the Lions did find balance and Jim Schwartz did right the ship, but it turns out a Jim Schwartz team was generally just a mediocre one. Maybe a season late, but they did have a good offseason. They would sign running back Reggie Bush, safety Glover Quinn, and they would draft cornerbacks Darius Slay and guard Larry Warford on top of their first pick in defensive end Ezekiel Ansah. Ansah's a weird one because he wasn't necessarily worth the fifth overall pick, but he did give them some good years. Though they would lose defensive end Cliff Averill to free agency, and through his time in Seattle, it's clear that that would be a big loss. Potentially a bigger loss is kicker Jason Hansen to retirement. You can't talk about the Lions without talking about Jason Hansen. He is right up there with the Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnsons of that franchise, whether he gets the recognition or not. Not was he just a great kicker, but he was with Detroit and only Detroit for 21 years, drafted in 1992 and retired in 2012. Truly a GOAT. Anyway, good offseason, didn't come in time, it's an uneventful year. Calvin Johnson and Nkomnungsu are first-team All-Pros, Joyke Bell and Reggie Bush make for a pretty good backfield, getting over 1,600 yards, both getting a lot of receiving work, and this would be the only time running backs would matter to the Detroit Lions in the Stafford era. Calvin Johnson is incredible again, but Nate Burleson and Durham can't quite get it done across from him. Burleson got hurt again around half season and still pretty much outproduced Chris Durham, who played almost twice the amount of games. The defense did get back to average. Quinn and Delmas gave that secondary some talent. Ansa has a good rookie year. Tolik and Levy have good years. Sue was obviously great, but this is a solid, not spectacular defense. The offense is about the same. It's great up top, not much depth. 
at what point do you start losing confidence in Jim Schwartz? Or was there a catalyst, or do you believe that these things were kind of beyond his control? It, it definitely happened in the the latter half of the season. So the Lions get to 6-3 and three at this point. They're actually way ahead of everyone in, in a, a poor NFC North. The, the Green Bay Packers would end up winning this division at 8-7-1. and one. Ah, yeah. So the Lions were in a prime position after Week 10, after beating the Bears, six and three to to make to win their first NFC North ever, win the first division in over, you know, 15 years I believe at that point, and so they they go in, they they lose a game to a Buccaneers team after turning the ball over I think four times in that game, um, a, a game that they easily should have won. They go on to beat the Packers on Thanksgiving, 40 to 10. So mm-hmm. everyone's like, okay win a couple games down the stretch, go two and two, and you got this division. They end up going 0-4. And I believe that that Eagles game was that crazy snowball game, if, I'm, oh, if yeah. I remember it correctly, um, in which it just, I mean, that didn't even resemble football. So I, I don't want to blame Jim Schwartz for that. But then they lose to the Baltimore Ravens as Justin Tucker kicks like a 62-yarder, 61-yarder, as time expires to win. And a game, again, the Lions had control most of that game. They just kept shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, they lose to a so-so Giants team in overtime, and then they lose to the Vikings uh, in a one-score game. So, it's is Jim Schwartz a horrible coach at that point? Could he get the Lions potentially over that hump and back to the playoffs? Probably, but the sting of losing four straight to lose that division, lose out on the playoffs, to go seven and nine was just a lot. And you can blame whoever you want to blame, but it it ultimately always lands on the coach's shoulders and that just left a very, very sour taste in Lions fans' mouth, especially just, you know, two years removed from this team being a decent playoff-bound team. And, you know, they, they follow that up with two losing seasons, including just a, a, a ginormous collapse. And that's the end of the Schwartz era. And that was, in fact, the end of the Schwartz era. Five seasons, 80 games, a 29-51 and 51 record, one playoff appearance, one playoff loss. Going off that, what grade would you give Schwartz as a Lions head coach? Well, I think a lot of people give him credit for getting the Lions out of the, you know, the worst era of, of NFL football maybe ever under, yeah. you know, Matt Millen and company. So a lot of people say he was the right coach at the time. He was the right guy to get them back to respectability, start building their defense, um, which we'll see kind of pay off really the next year. Um, and so, I mean, I think I would give him a, a solid B, you know. I I am a bit surprised he hasn't gotten an opportunity since. Um, but, you know, he went back to defensive coordinating right after this and, and was pretty successful where he went. You know, the Eagles had a pretty good defense for a while under him. And I, I don't think anyone will look at the the Jim Schwartz era as a, as a huge failure. I mean, the Lions have a lot worse failures on the record than a guy like Jim Schwartz. So I think most people look on it quite fondly. And, and mostly as, as a guy who really got the Lions out of the, the 0-16 hole and, and into respectability and, and set them up for um, future success. Jeremy was a little higher on Schwartz than I am, but it really does come down to expectations. Schwartz did rebuild a very bad team, ultimately didn't stunt Stafford's growth, and made them a good team at one point and set them up for later. On the outside looking in, it's easier for me to say his shortcomings were rough, but I think it's very understandable for Lions fans to be content, though maybe underwhelmed with how his tenure went. 2014, so big start to the offseason. Schwartz is out, 
And in at head coach is Jim Caldwell, previously with Baltimore as an offensive coordinator, but known for his stint in Indianapolis throughout most of the Peyton Manning years. Now in Detroit, hoping to get the most out of Matthew Stafford. New regime, new hope in Detroit. Do you kind of recall what your initial thoughts were when you guys hired Jim Caldwell? Yeah, I, I think most fans were were hoping it would be Ken Wisenhunt, which, of course, in retrospect, um, also probably not the greatest of choices. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people looked at Jim Caldwell as just kind of a not, you know, a lateral move, you know, someone that doesn't really, you know, make all the jokes about his personality and, and you know, stoicism and, and whatever you want. But I think a lot of people are just kind of they were underwhelmed. I think Ken, Ken Wisenhunt was the younger, more flashy name, and Jim Caldwell was the guy who's been around for a long time. And, and I mean, the the way that they sold it to Lions fans was he was going to fix Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford had thrown, you know, 17, 18, 19 interceptions in a season. Jim Caldwell was the guy who worked with Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning's right-hand man, yep. the guy who's going to come in and, and you know, fix him between the ears because one of the, I, one of the quotes that kind of went viral right after that 2013 season was Matthew Stafford. And this was maybe the only time Matthew said Matthew Stafford in his entire career said something that, that turned out to be quote unquote controversial. And it was that he didn't think he needed a quarterback guru. He wasn't going to go to one of those quarterback camps in the off season to, to fix his arm angles. You know, that was, that was the thing back then. It was, it was his form. He was throwing sidearm. He was throwing off, off his back foot. People didn't like that. They assumed that was the reason why all the interceptions was happening. And so Matthew Stafford was, was called out on it. And he said, I don't think I need that. I need to be better, but I don't think I need someone to correct my form to, to break down everything I do. I just need to be, need to play better. And so Jim Caldwell, I guess was kind of like the middle ground there. He was a guy who had worked with quarterbacks before had success. And so he was the guy that was going to fix Matthew Stafford. Again, I think fans were more skeptical than that. I think they just kind of looked and said, well, you know, he just he drove Indianapolis into the ground. He couldn't do anything without um, Peyton Manning when 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 he was injured. Um, he's he only looks good because of Peyton Manning. So there's a lot of skeptic skepticism, and he wasn't the fans' number one choice. But um, you know, there were certainly some people open to the idea. The Lions' off season was so and so once again. After a couple years of not getting receiving production across from Calvin Johnson, he finally gets a good running mate with the team's big free agency signing in wide receiver Golden Tate. They further try to correct this issue by taking tight end Eric Ebron 10th overall. Matt Prater comes in to replace Jason Hansen a year later. He too would be a mainstay for a while. The big names to leave this offseason would be Nate Burleson, Louis Delmas, and Willie Young. But in comparison to what they gained, that's not a bad switch. Linebacker Kyle Van Noy was taken in the second round, center Travis Swanson in the third, and another uneventful draft for Detroit. All those good moves the year prior, though, on top of the Golden Tate signing, adds up to what this year would be. Everything that could go right, pretty much did. I guess I don't know how else to say it. Is 2014 the best team within the Stafford era? It might be the best Detroit Lions team of the Super Bowl era. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, they go 11 and five. I, I believe 11 wins is, is a team record at this point. Um, and, and currently, because they certainly haven't hit that mark <laughs> since. Um, but this is the most well-rounded team I can remember. Oh yeah. For once, and oddly enough, after going with an offensive minded head coach, it would be the defense, not the offense that carried Detroit in 2014. 
Safety Glover Quinn was an All-Pro, and he had a pretty good career in his nine years in the league, but this would be his only All-Pro season. Nakaurong Su is an All-Pro player as always. Linebacker DeAndre Levy would have a career year. Safety James Ahitabo, also a career year. Cornerback Darius Slay, breakout year. This wasn't an all-timely cast by any means, but a bunch of players played their best ball at the same time and created an excellent defense. They finished third in points allowed and second in yards allowed, so the only defense that was clearly better than them this season is a prime Legion of Boom Seahawks, so credit to newly hired defensive coordinator Terrell Austin. The offense is solid. Stafford has a fine year, 22 touchdowns and 12 interceptions, 4,200 yards. Uh, Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate are as advertised. They're an excellent duo. But as Jeremy described to me, the Linehan offense under Caldwell is much different than the previous offense under Schwartz, who was very willing to let Stafford be a gunslinger and just air it out. This new offense, much more conservative, a lot more dink and dunk, working the short game a lot. And as Jeremy described, this might have been what Stafford needed at the time. This helped him cut down on turnovers, he took what the defense would give them, and let their own defense do some work. However, no third option receiving threat would come out. Reggie Bush struggles with injuries and his production declines, so the running back position, once again, isn't great. Eric Ebron doesn't find success as a rookie, and Caldwell's conservative nature bites them a handful of times. But this is still a really good Lions team, who had two separate four-game winning streaks, and they would finish with a strong 11-5 season. That was still only good enough for sixth in the conference, with the Packers winning their division at 12-4. That seeding was secured when the Packers beat the Lions 20-30 in Week 17, meaning Detroit was very close to not only winning their division, but getting the second seed and a bye going into the playoffs. Instead, they got a wildcard clash with the Dallas Cowboys, a team who had six All-Pros, three of which were on their offensive line, as well as an incredible trio of weapons on quarterback Tony Romo, wide receiver Des Bryant, and running back DeMarco Murray. The playoff game in 2014 was maybe the most defining moment of the Lions in the 2010s because the Lions went out to a big lead in Dallas and then sat on it. And obviously, you ask any Lions fan about that game, the first thing they're going to bring up is the pass interference. The pass interference, yeah. Um, yep, the Lions have a, a lead. Uh, I think it's a six-point lead. Um, maybe maybe it's only three-point lead at that point. Um, late in the game, they're on the Cowboys' side of the field. It's third and eight-ish. Uh, Brandon Pettigrew goes up to, to catch a pass. Uh, Anthony Hitchens, a linebacker, Cowboys linebacker, has his back to the ball, is all over Brandon Pettigrew. They throw a pass interference flag. They announce it over the speakers. Then they have a conference and decide, you know what? Nope, it wasn't pass interference. They pick up the flag, um, which is something that you don't see very often. So I mean, you see flags get thrown and then them pick it up. What you don't see is them the, throw the flag, announce it, to everybody and then pick it up. And so that's what I think had Lions fans really heated. Although I would argue that the Lions should have gone for it right after that. Cause I actually think it was only about a, a fourth and three from the Cowboys side of the field. When you're up three, you have a chance to go up two possessions. I think you go for it there. That's where the, the extra conservative Caldwell kicked in. They ended up punting. They shagged the punt. The Cowboys would go on to score the game winning touchdown on the ensuing drive. And the Lions season was over. Cowboys got their own the next week, but you know, they did. At least yeah, it was a, it was a fun just, Cowboys team. It was a good Cowboys team. Yep. It was a very beatable Cowboys team. Yep. And I, I think the Lions were probably the better team that that year. And yeah, some some will argue that the Lions could have potentially gone on beyond that game. They they were that good. And and I'm with them. Like I I do believe that was a a really really good Lions team that was well rounded. And 
maybe maybe the only thing that really truly held them back is the thing that's held them back forever, which was no running game uh, yep. that year and conservative play style. And I, I think at that point, Matthew Stafford needed it, but situationally, I wish they had been a little more aggressive at times. And the the, the fourth quarter of that Cowboys game is definitely one of those games. The Lions lose 20-24 to 24 in a very close game with a controversial no-call. And in case you don't know what the Cowboys getting their own was a reference to, that would be the Des Cotic game next week when the Packers would beat the Dallas Cowboys. 2015. It doesn't happen right away, and I'll explain later, but the 2015 season to me sets in stone what the story of the Stafford era Lions would be. Yeah, we got to get to 2015, and um, I, I wrote it down this way, so I just want to see if you can agree. <laughs> You've been ahead of me this whole interview so far, so I'm curious if you are here too. I consider 2015 to essentially be the breaking point of the Stafford era. Do you like agree with me? Do you know what I'm getting at here? Like I said, it, it wasn't a bad year from Stafford at all, but it, it, it started the doubt. You're, you're, you're absolutely right that I think this was a turning point in which people were like, I'm not sure this is right. <laughs> This is this is where I'm, I'm sure the team is heading in the right direction anymore. It, it really seemed like after that 2014 season, things were, were again kind of like back in 2011. Like, okay, everything's great, but you lose in Dominican Sue in the off season. Yeah. The defense takes a big step back, and um, your offense is just kind of average. And so, at this point, everyone's like, "Well, what do we do now?" So, getting to the off season, eager to make another playoff push, general manager Martin Mayhew once again, doesn't do much. Not a single strong or even decent free agent signing. The biggest contract handed out would be defensive end Tyron Walker, who got one year and just shy of $2 million. However, they do reward DeAndre Levy after his career year with a $33 million contract himself. So just like in 2012, this is about running it back. They do have another rough draft, guard Lake and Tomlinson in the first, running back Amir Abdullah in the second, and nothing else notable outside of cornerback Quandre Diggs in the sixth, which is great value. But nothing really exciting. The story of the offseason, as Jeremy mentioned, was defensive tackle Nakamadong Su, who was due a new contract. He was obviously essential to the defense and wanted to get paid. Both sides expressed interest in staying together, but talks would begin to break down, and as free agency opened, Su was headed to Miami. Later interviews from both Su and Mayhew told us that they were very close to getting a deal done throughout negotiations, but Mayhew himself admitted he simply fumbled the process and lost out on a franchise player. Detroit would trade for longtime Raven Haladi Nada to replace Sue and call it an offseason. And Sue's presence was obviously missed. The Lions' first-ranked run defense in 2014 fell to 19th next year, while the defense as a whole went from 2nd in the league to 23rd. DeAndre Levy would suffer an injury week 1 and miss the whole season, so without two of their most important players in the front 7, the defense was stretched out and no longer a threat. Calvin Johnson and Golden Tate's production took a decent step back, and tight end Eric Ebron continued to struggle in becoming a third option, leaving running back Theo Riddick as the third most targeted player in this passing game. Stafford himself actually has a more efficient season, though, with 32 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and 4,200 yards. But lacking top-end talent outside of Calvin Johnson, the Lions struggled as a whole. Yeah, I mean, so there there is a defining moment in there that... Um... Definitely. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a really good point because it's it's the Kansas City game in, I believe that one was in London. He gets pulled in that game. And I think at that point, people are ready. People are, that's when the questions really start coming in. Is this our guy? Um, because we, I don't, to that point, I don't believe we ever saw Matthew Stafford pulled from a game. 
He was pulled at halftime, if I remember correctly, in a game they just got blown. It was 45 to 10. Oh, my God. Um, it was it was never competitive. Um, Lions fans had to wake up early for that one because it was playing oh, one of the <laughs> And they got to go right back to bed after halftime because it was it was 24 to nothing then. Um, and and maybe it was even the game after that, that he also got benched. But, um, yeah, I, I think at that point people started to question if this if this was going to work out. And by all means, I mean, Stafford's season wasn't that bad. He 32 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 97 passer rating. It, it was it was fine. But that the line started one and seven. Yeah. Um, culminating in, in that Kansas City game, which ended up getting a whole bunch of people fired. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the biggest evidence that the Lions were actually kind of decent that year was the fact that they won six out of their last eight games. They rebound in a big way. And yeah, I I hate, I hate to bring up this game, but they probably should have gone seven out of their last eight wins. If it weren't for Aaron Rodgers throwing a hail Mary on Thursday night football to win a game that the Lions were winning 20 to nothing at halftime. And so it, it's, it's a tough year to, to kind of go back on because of such a terrible start. And it's almost made tougher by the fact that they improved so much in the second half. Cause you're just like, they had pulled off one or two or maybe three of those first eight games, which they, they were certainly capable of. They were, they were in almost all those games. This could have been a, a winning season that, that could have been a playoff berth. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's tough. After that Chiefs game, the Lions went into their bye week with little choice but to clean house. They fired team president Tom Lewind, offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, and maybe most importantly, general manager Martin Mayhew. So to allude to what I'll be focusing a lot on this podcast, I wanted to review Martin Mayhew's time with Detroit. The trends, the tendencies, and the decisions he made as a team builder during the first half of the Stafford era. Now, I won't be going as in-depth here as I will with other GMs in future episodes, but there is some interesting things to look at with Mayhew. First off, he had been working his way up the exec ladder for a while now. He was already a higher up in Detroit's front office since about 2004, when he was Senior Vice President and Assistant General Manager. When Matt Millen was fired in September of 2008 in the winless season, Mayhew was then afterwards promoted to Head General Manager. Matt Millen was a terrible General Manager, no doubt. But as second-in-command, it should have been a red flag on Mayhew, who was very much a part of building that 08 team. Maybe, it's certainly not fair to, to paint him as as someone integrally involved, because I think I think a lot of those problems, just like in terms of, you know, draft preparation and things like that, it was a mess, and that mostly can be put on, on Matt Millen. Matt Millen was terrible, absolutely. I know, yeah. I know it sounds like scapegoating, and, and maybe it is at least a little bit. <laughs> and, and honestly, I'm looking forward and at what Matt Martin Mayhew has done with the 49ers and now uh, I can't remember where he is now I think Washington, Washington yeah um he's built a nice career out of himself but but you're right at the time it was uninspiring um it was a sign that maybe the Fords just weren't all that interested in in conducting a search and taking it seriously um the the one thing that that William Clay Ford really got nailed for during his time as, as owner was he was too loyal. And that was certainly um, one piece of evidence for it. And, you know, he stuck with Matt Millen probably longer than he should have. And you, you hire someone from internal because you know him and you trust him. And so he was very trusting, very loyal to, to people that he knew and he liked. And so you stuck with Martin Mayhew and, and you got what you sow. I mean, you got a guy who had never 
had general manager experience, which again, I mean, that's 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 just kind of how it works. You don't get a lot of second um, retreads in terms of general managers, but yeah, um, there was no there was essentially no search. They just they did it internally, and and you got a guy who who you know the transition I'm sure was easy, but in terms of you know building something new, building something different, getting the team on a different trajectory, um, that was that apparently wasn't the plan. Can I tell a quick Matt Millen story? Absolutely. I don't know if you've heard it. No, absolutely. It's my favorite one to tell. Okay, let's go. Uh, so the Lions were on the clock in 2006 in the third round. And, and this is um, the, the late uh, Tom Kowalski is the one who reported this. So um, it's if, if it's not true, it's on him. But uh, <laughs> I believe I believe at this point most people believe it to be true. The Lions were on the clock. They were running out of time. They didn't have the guy. that They didn't have any sort of semblance of who they wanted. So Matt Millen heard a voice that we don't even know who who it belonged to in the back of the war room, just scream out the name, Brian Calhoun, the running back from Wisconsin. And that's who they ended up taking. Wow. <laughs> that's incredible. For yeah. so many reasons, actually. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it makes complete sense when you think of, I mean, just like everything seemed to be completely unorganized. No one knew what they were doing. Matt Millen didn't know what he was doing. They had a bunch of first-timers in that front office. And, yeah, you, you get down. I mean, Minnesota always gets clowned for, for letting the time expire one time. This yeah. was maybe even worse. <laughs> Once Mayhew got full control, he immediately had back-to-back first and then second overall picks. So I don't credit him too much for grabbing Stafford or Sue because there wasn't much of a decision to make. I do want to credit him for doing everything he could to give Stafford weapons. They already had Calvin Johnson, but he still tried to give them some real firepower. The problem is he just couldn't hit on these players. Try to name as many in his era, so 2009 to 2015 draft, try to name as many top 100 offensive skill position picks that they made. Okay. Uh, I, I, oh, man. Uh, Titus Young. Yes. Um... Obviously, Eric Ebron, which yep. uh, we didn't even talk about, which we, we probably should. Um, yeah, and then probably just a bunch of running backs, right? Like, uh, there's three running backs. There's 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 a total of eight. Oh, man. Uh, the, no, in theoretical fifth round. Um, I mean, gosh. Who was the the running back? Oh, we just talked about him. Um, Javid Best. Javid Best, that's three. Um, oh, Mikel Shore too. I yeah, forgot yeah. About that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going, you're going um, through them. Oof. That's most of the running backs. There's only one more. Um, oh, that should be easy. Was Amir Abdullah on his watch? Or is that too? I mean, it was Amir Abdullah. That was his last running back pick in his last draft, right after Lakin mm. Tomlinson. Oh, and and so Ryan Broyles, we had mentioned yep, before. Yeah, and Ryan Broyles. At six, you're actually doing fantastic. I think I that's probably all I got. I won't Who blame you. Okay, so you kind of missed one. There's one that I won't blame you at all for missing. The first one is actually Brandon Pettigrew, same draft oh, right. as Stafford. Yep. Uh, and then the second one, same year, uh, wide receiver Derek Williams. Oh, uh, my gosh. Derek yeah. Williams. Did he, I don't know if he ever started a single game. So I don't think he started a game. He only played 18 career games, nine receptions, 83 yards, but he had a pretty good season returning kicks in 09. Ah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that's... Yeah, we, we should definitely talk about this because <laughs> there, there are a lot of risks that he took. When Titus Young had a lot of character issues coming out of, and it turned out those to be true. McKellar's shore, injury issues, 
job at best had concussions in in college which is what ended his career in the pros and then i mean yeah the the thing that that has sunk martin mayhew's um career reputation in detroit forever was taking eric ebron over aaron donald and it's something that lions fans will absolutely never ever ever get over it would have been a perfect transition. You can't keep uh, Indomitian Sue for all the money that he's asking for. Well, you got Aaron Donald right there to, to fill in his spot right after he left. Um, but nope, they went Eric Ebron there. And Lions fans have been scared to take tight ends in, in the top 10 since. The Lions haven't been scared because they've already done it since. <laughs> and they, they might do it in, in a couple weeks from now. Who knows? Oh, but, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that is the career-defining pick, I think for Martin Mayhew and and maybe the beginning of the end for him. Jeremy went six or eight, which is really good considering I put him on the spot. But just to reiterate, Mayhew really, really tried to build a talented offense around Stafford and Calvin Johnson. He just ultimately failed to get another great piece around him, two of which were solid tight ends. Five of those players didn't play two seasons worth of games. And then the last one's Amir Abdullah. And and I, I don't want to, you know, throw all of Martin Mayhew's drafts in, in, in the trash there, there were set, certainly some some good moments and some promising moments scattered across there but i think you nailed it like this team tried so desperately to get matthew stafford weapons that weren't calvin johnson and they would end up having to do it through free agency through guys like nate burleson and and marvin jones and and things like that but you know i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself there but yeah you're you're right they they tried and they and they failed and you you can put that on you know, Stafford for not maybe making some of these guys um, as, you know, look better than, than they were. But at the same time, like, there's only so much he can do. And to Mayhew's credit, he was a lot better in free agency. <laughs> he was. Yeah, that's true. Plenty of those guys he signed worked. And if Nate Burleson, when he was healthy, he was, you know, a perfectly fine second, third target. His first picks in each draft don't get much better either. After taking Stafford first overall in 09 and Nakamadong Sioux second overall in 2010, his first picks are defensive tackle Nick Farley, Left tackle, Riley Reef, Defensive end, Ezekiel Ansa. Tight end, Eric Ebron. And guard, Lakin Tomlinson. I think this really defines kind of the Lions under Mayhew. You got a peak, at least, with most of those guys. Or at least half yeah. of them. None of them were long-term position players. Yeah. And, and they all kind of had a little bit of risk to them. And I think maybe that was... Mayhew's downfall. It was just a little too much risk. Maybe not so much in, in Riley Reef and, and Lake and Tomlinson. You know, offensive linemen tend to hit pretty well, especially, you know, when you're picking in that 20 to, to 30 range. Um, you, you know, if you get five years out of them, that's that's not terrible if, if they're starter for all five of those years. But Ezekiel Ansa was an extremely raw talent who, uh, you know, had only played po- football for a couple of years before the Lions drafted him. Eric Ebron, again, the whole tight end in the top 10 thing, plus maybe some character stuff a little bit. Um, and then, um, you know, you, you look back, Nick Fairley was a guy who uh, I think people thought was a bit of a reach at the time, um, you know, coming from from Auburn. That that defensive line had a lot, a lot, a lot of talent, and so Nick Fairley was just kind of lost in the shuffle there. And so, yeah, I, I, it's it's just kind of a lot of either meh, meh kind of picks or like, ooh, you're, you're taking a, a big swing here. Yeah. Better hope it works out for you. We agreed Mayhew had more success in free agency. His philosophies and decisions weren't really that bad of ideas. It just seems that he had more trouble in the scouting department. He just couldn't hit on the right guys that would end up being productive, long-term pieces for the Lions. 
Back to the Lions coming off that very disappointing 2015 season, but a strong finish gave them some hope going into this next year. So Martin Mayhew's out. The new general manager search would end up being another straw that would eventually break the camel's back. The replacement would be Bob Quinn out of New England. This search was led by former general manager Ernie Accorsi, who had been making a career out of helping teams find new GMs since he retired in 2007. And it was a pretty small group of candidates. They'd also interview in-house personnel and interim GM Sheldon White and Giants assistant GM Kevin Abrams. But once they interviewed Bob Quinn, they seemed pretty locked in and hired him once he became available. To this point, he had been with the Patriots for 15 years, slowly working his way up through the front office, and most recently, he was the director of pro scouting the previous four years. What was your initial thought on the Bob Quinn hiring? Was there like, did you like the idea that he was a New England guy? Were you kind of more skeptical that, you know, it's not Bilicek, but... Yeah, I, I think a, a, an important context to the hire is this was the first one that was made under Martha Firestone Ford. Oh, so, yeah, correct. Um, yeah, the Lions have new ownership, of the, the, the wife of the late William Clay Ford. Um, she, she takes over, and I think people were a bit encouraged by this because she because instead of you know hiring internally and hiring a friend, she got someone to kind of run the search for her because she's like, ah, you know, this is, I don't want to, you know, necessarily be hindered by my own biases. Listen, she she's you know in her nineties at this point, or, or close to him at this point. She she's certainly probably not in tune with the most you know modern ways of, of scouting or anything like yeah. that. So she outsources it to Ernie Corsi, who is a well respected person in the NFL to this day, um, a guy who certainly is in tune with everything happening in the NFL, and so people I think trusted it. Is there that patriot skepticism? Yes, but I think even going back to 2016, the whole, like, don't touch the Patriots tree type of mentality, I don't think it was as ingrained as it was now. So people oh, were like, yeah. let's tap into a successful franchise. We got it at the uh, at the request, at the um, endorsement of one of the most well-respected people in the NFL. This might work. Let's try it out. This, I, I think there was a, more optimism about this than any of the general manager hires of, of the 2000s. So... Um, yeah, the, I think I think it's safe to say that there was some optimism that, that things were going to drastically change going forward. And Bob Quinn certainly wasn't coming in with a strong hand. Most notably, Calvin Johnson would retire unexpectedly this offseason, which was a giant deal. Compounding on the loss in the Commodong Sioux the year prior, for a team that was generally getting by on their elite talent, they just lost two of the best players of the Stafford era. So Bob Quinn had his work cut out for him. He'd patched that loss by signing Marvin Jones to help replace Calvin, but it was a quiet free agency otherwise. And he actually had a pretty good first draft. In that draft, he would get offensive tackle Taylor Decker, defensive tackle Ashawn Robinson, and guard Graham Glasgow. That's a lot of G's, sorry. And all three of those players are still in the league and fairly productive, and Taylor Decker is still an important player to the Lions, so it's fair to say he actually nailed his first draft. So while things aren't looking great at the moment, with a new GM, two of the best players in, that Detroit has ever had now gone, and coming off a rough 2015, the expectations weren't necessarily high, but they actually have a pretty decent season in 2016. And in fact, this would be the season where Stafford really, really would start putting the team on his back. Yeah, no, I mean, this this was the, the fourth quarter comeback, Matthew Stafford. Yes. Where he, I think he did it in eight of nine of their wins or yes. something like that. Something crazy like that. That's absurd. Had, had it, yeah. And yeah, it, it, it was just kind of a so-so team. And this is kind of the, 
the ace up the sleeve for people that love Matthew Stafford to pull. It's just like yeah. this was a a, a, a a so-so average, maybe even below average team that this dude just willed to the playoffs. Nine nine and seven. Not so again. Not not a great season. They kind of get blown out by Seattle in, in the first round of the playoffs. But all these crazy comeback games, which which have become iconic in in Stafford's career, the whether it's the the overtime win in 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 Minnesota in which they had to go, I think about 50, 60 yards in 20 seconds. The Viking, yeah, the Vikings had the go-ahead score in that game with 23 seconds left in the fourth quarter. The Lions are able to get in field goal position in those 23 seconds and tie the game up, and then they went in overtime. Uh, I believe there's a, one of the, the several uh, classic comebacks against the, no, it wasn't that year, against the Cowboys. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just every single game, the Lions were living on the edge. You know, they were bringing back the whole cardiac cats uh, kind of mentality and just a super fun season. I would say maybe the most fun season of the Matthew Stafford era was this one, just because every game was a roller coaster ride, and more often than not, Matthew Stafford was doing incredible things. And his again, his final stat line just kind of so-so: twenty-four touchdowns, ten interceptions, ninety-three passer rating. But it was the fourth quarters that really got people back on his side after just you know kind of wallowing in the past couple seasons before that. Matthew Stafford breaks the record for the most fourth quarter comeback wins in a season. And he would do that eight times out of nine of the Lions wins. That's lunacy. So in a weak NFC, they actually make the playoffs as a wildcard team before promptly getting bounced 26-6 to by a Legion of Boom remnant Seahawks, as Jeremy had mentioned. So this was a small peak for the Lions. But the fact that Stafford's heroics won them all but one game definitely meant there were plenty of cracks in this team. That would be the last time, and spoiler alert, that Stafford would ever make the playoffs. One last decent season before things would start to get much, much worse. 2017. Bob Quinn's second offseason started by continuing to beef the trenches, signing offensive linemen Rick Wagner and TJ Lang in free agency, which I really appreciate. I think it's really smart to try to build the offensive line, especially when you plan on committing to Matthew Stafford long-term which they did by giving him a five-year, $135 million contract extension right before the season. In the draft, they would end up grabbing linebacker Jared Davis, cornerback Tease Tabor, and wide receiver Kenny Galladay. And Galladay was an excellent find in round three, but in reality, he only salvaged this draft from being a really bad one. Jared Davis and Tease Tabor, both short-term and long-term, would not be good draft picks for the Lions. Stafford would have a strong 4,400-yard season, 29 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions, but the rebuilt offensive line that looked good on paper wasn't working out too well in the field. Stafford would be sacked a career-high 47 times. But Golden Tate and Marvin Jones both had 1,000 yards receiving each, and they'd have a statistical top-10 offense, just no running game and a subpar 21st-ranked defense, making this one of your more quintessential 2010s Lions teams. So despite an okay outing at 9-7, and seven, this year that was not enough to crack the playoffs. Pretty much the opposite of 2016. I didn't see too much interesting about 2017. If you have anything t- about that season, please let me know. <laughs> I mean, you're right. There really isn't that much interesting <laughs> about it. Um, this ends up being Jim Caldwell's final season. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it really... it it follows a pattern of just kind of late season collapses. So even in 2016, that was a team that was nine and four and lost the last three games of the season, lost out of their chance of winning the division and they have to go to Seattle and just get their butt whoops in, in 2017. It's another kind of down year for the NFC North. And so the lions are, they see themselves at eight and six 
with two weeks left to play. And they they go into Cincinnati and just play an god-awful game against a not very good Bengals team, team that doesn't make the playoffs. And that's everyone's final straw. Everyone's just like, all right, we're, we're not getting over the hump with this guy. Jim Caldwell is a guy who, like I said, he'll get you to some eight and eight seasons. We'll get you uh, an occasional 10 and six, an occasional six and 10, but not much beyond that. And so people were just like, this team has enough talent. They, they spent all these draft resources, like you said, on the offensive line. Their defense isn't horrible. They've got a couple really good players in Darius Slay, and, and they still have good play coming out of Glover Quinn. And they've got really, a, a, you know, a, an offense that's starting to build some weapons again. Marvin Jones and Golden Tate are playing out of their mind. 2017 was Kenny Galladay's first season, and although in the, he only starts five games that year, you start to see some really good things. Theo Riddick is, is still one of the best receiving running backs in the game, so the weapons are there, and it's just not all coming together in a way that it should. And so I think 2017 is just like, all right, another just kind of so-so year. We we need to take a step here. We need we're we're done being the the worst team in the NFL, but we're also now done just kind of being an irrelevant, you know, middle of the road team. The the knock on the Caldwell era and Matthew Stafford at this point is you never win big games. You can't beat good teams. And and that that was a completely fair criticism too of yeah. both Stafford and and Jim Caldwell. It's just if you look at the the team's record against winning teams it wasn't just bad it was awful you know we're talking single digit wins against teams who would finish with with winning records and things like that so 2018 the lions now have to make a very important move jim caldwell has been fired and they need a replacement i actually credit quinn a lot for keeping caldwell around for two seasons after he had came in because it's pretty rare these days for a new general manager to keep the former head coach around for more than one season they usually want to bring in their own guy but quinn gave caldwell time and tried to give him a reasonable team However, after the past two seasons, I do think it was understandable to try to upgrade. Like the Bob Quinn general manager search, however, this coaching search mirrored that process in a lot of ways. Quinn wanted to do a, quote, thorough search that ultimately came down to six candidates. In-house options, Terrell Austin and Jim Bob Cooter. Texans defensive coordinator, Mike Vrabel, who would end up taking the Titans job. Packers assistant head coach, Winston Moss. Vikings offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer. And finally... Patriots defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia. Clearly, there is a Patriots connection between Quinn and Patricia, so even with a slightly larger cast in net, it does seem like they locked in on him as soon as they interviewed Patricia, and Patricia liked Detroit, so the deal came through after the Patriots' loss in Super Bowl 52. How did you feel about that initially? That was a tough one, um, because so like before, before Jim Caldwell was even fired, he was the guy that people had circled as as the most likely candidate the most um logical candidate and and you know to be fair he was still pretty well thought of the problem though is that that's the super bowl in which the the patriots defense just gets absolutely run over by the eagles in the super bowl and lions fans at this point they already know that that Matt Patricia is going to be the head coach and they're just watching the Patriots get drubbed on national <laughs> TV in front of everyone. And everyone's just like, Oh no, what are we doing here? And, and I still think, you know, if you look back on, you know, approval polls and things like that, fans will be wildly overwhelming, po- overwhelmingly positive about that hire. And, and I think the fact that there was the, the search was so narrow 
had it so that there weren't a lot of other options that Lions fans were even considering. Um, yeah, in, in general, I think most people agreed um, this 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 could work. The way I rationalized it at, at the time was a lot of times that the, the New England head coach thing didn't work out. They weren't lock in step with the general manager. Oh, okay. there, was, there was butting of the heads at that level. And so I was like, okay, well, now they, they there's two guys with a working relationship together. There's at least going to be some cohesiveness there. They're, they're going to get the personnel that they want to, to build what they want. Uh, one of the first moves, highly publicized moves, is he gets the, the ping pong table out of the locker room. It's oh, all about football yeah. now. <laughs> and, and that, you know, Michigan is, is, is a purple state. So um, that kind of hard work, no fun, blue collar mentality type thing that kind of resonated I think with some Lions fans early on and so I think that's why some people bought in early and and thought maybe this is exactly what the Lions need like if we're just going to joke around and, and play and play ping pong and dance in the locker room we're, we're never going to get past that proverbial hunt hump we instead we need someone that has a championship pedigree that will you know nose to the to the ground whatever you know cliche about you know, all work, no play, um, whatever. People, that, that, that resonated with people at the time. After spending in free agency the last year, this year Bob Quinn plays it quieter with just a handful of depth signings. Eric Ebron officially has not worked out for the Lions and is released. They'd also trade Golden Tate for a third to Philadelphia with the emergence of Kenny Galladay. He has another good draft with center Frank Ragnow in the first and safety Tracy Walker in the third along with Carrion Johnson, Deshaun Hand, and Tyrell Cosby making up other picks. But with the new coaching staff coming off two 9-7 seasons, expectations were pretty unknown. They would end up going 6-10, which is more or less fine. New leadership getting a feel for things, the team having a down year isn't inherently a bad thing. The problem being, that would be as good as it gets under Patricia as head coach. Stafford has another fine season, though certainly not his best. 3,700 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Carryon Johnson and LeGarrette Blunt combine for 1,000 rushing yards, and Kenny Galladay emerges as a true number one wide receiver. And Patricia actually makes for an okay defense this year. They rank 16th in the league in points, which is kind of what he was brought in to do, make a good defense out of this unit. It was the offense that struggled more. They would just rank 25th in points scored. So at what point did you realize that Patricia wasn't going to be it? Was it kind of earlier, maybe in that second season when it wasn't going so well? Or did it take kind of that third year for all the wheels to fall off for you to realize, like, yeah, that just wasn't going to work? It's really hard to tell. Because <laughs> when, you're, when you're in those seasons, you tend to see the, the positives more than the negatives. And the warning signs were there from the beginning. I mean, the very first game of the Lions under Matt Patricia is a 48 to 17 drubbing by the New York Jets and rookie quarterback Sam Darnold. Oh, that's right. On Monday Night Football, um, where it, it ends with, you know, the, in the fourth quarter, it's Jets fans chanting J-E-T-S at Ford Field. Um, and and personally speaking, this was this was the first time I had been credentialed media. Oh, that was my okay. first game. Oh. So I... I I, I saw Matt Patricia's era from from beginning to end, and so you got to a point where you're. I mean, things looked awful in those first two games. They go zero and two, but then they beat the Patriots on on Sunday Night Football. 
Um, they get back to three and three with a, a convincing win over a Miami Dolphins team that was actually pretty good. And suddenly, especially you look at that game, that was a game in which the Lions ran the ball. That was a game in which Carryon Johnson had over 100 yards at halftime. And so you're like, okay, maybe they finally figured out, maybe maybe this is it. They, they found out a run game to finally complement Matthew Stafford. Because at this point, the narrative, the, the fan base will split. You either did not like Matthew Stafford and you didn't think he could win in this league because at this point we're almost 10 years into his career, he hasn't won a playoff game. Or you're of the ilk that give this guy a defense like he had only one time in his entire career and giving a running game that he probably never really even had and, and something will succeed. And, you know, they have a, a carry on Johnson at this point as, as a rookie. He goes out and has a pretty successful season before he gets injured. And the Lions get their way to thir- three and three, and then everything falls apart. Yeah. So a good early start turns into a collapse, which required improvement going into the next season, obviously. As Jeremy explains, the same issues arose in 2019. They get to 2-0-1. They, they play the Kansas City Chiefs who I believe were just coming off a, a Super Bowl win, or, or you know, they, they were firmly entrenched as one of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah. They nearly beat Kansas City to move to 3-0-1 at the bye week. They don't. And then they get heartbroken on Monday Night Football against the, the Green Bay Packers against two illegal hand-to-the-faces penalty. Really hands the Packers the win. And, and then, again, it all falls apart. Then the Lions just... They, they win one more game the rest of the way. And everything falls apart. And I think at that point, I'd say 60% of the fans or so were done. They were okay. done with, with Matt Patricia. So after regressing in 2019, Patricia was officially on the hot seat after a 3-12-1 season. Things were trending the wrong way, but he was given one more chance to right the ship. They would make plenty of changes that offseason, including swapping out offensive coordinator Jim Bob Cooter for Daryl Bevel. And they were aggressive in free agency again, signing defensive end Trey Flowers and cornerback Justin Coleman to bigger contracts, as well as adding wide receiver Danny Amendola and tight end Jesse James. They would also draft tight end TJ Hawkinson in the first round, which made some fans nervous after the whole Ebron thing. And while Hawkinson wasn't the athletic marvel that Ebron was, he does appear to be a lot better at the whole football thing, which seems to be a good trade-off thus far. Despite an aggressive offseason, the Lions did not have anything to show for it. After starting 2-1-1, they would finish 1-11. Most notably, Stafford's Ironman streak would come to an end. He would only play half the season due to a back injury, which really led fans to losing faith in this coaching staff, finally, because of how strange that situation was. By all means, we're, we're halfway into the next week to, to face the Chicago Bears in, in a huge game. And Matthew Stafford is still considered the starter. Like, the people are... I, I, I don't think he's practicing at that point, or, or maybe if he is, it's in a limited fashion, but no one is questioning whether he's going to play in that Bears game. And then on a Friday, he goes under some sort of examination and they find something. And suddenly, that I mean, that is the... If there was ever any hope for the Matt Patricia era, it was lost on that Friday. Okay. Because that's that's when they found something. That's when it turned out Matthew Stafford's back injury was, was something much more serious. Uh, in terms of in terms of the pain he was under, there's no doubt in my mind that Matthew Stafford w- would have been able to pay, play through those eight games, and and he certainly wanted to. Um, but the, the doctors essentially held him out, and maybe by the end of the season he could have returned, but when you're 3-10-1, not much point in it. Um, and so the Lions end up losing the rest of those games. 
uh, and and you know he he lost faith he lost the faith of Lions fans that he would never get back. However, the front office must not have saw it the same way as fans. Rather, it was reason to give Patricia one last chance because, as Jeremy alluded to, the Lions seemed like maybe they could have been a formidable team up until that point. The 2020 offseason was less aggressive. Some solid depth signings in linebacker Jamie Collins, cornerback Desmond Trufant, and offensive tackle Viatai, whose first name I'm not even going to try to attempt. But after being aggressive the previous free agency and with a lot of draft stock this year, the team was going to look to build through the draft. It's too early to say how these guys' careers will end up going, but early on, this looks to be a really promising group. Cornerback Jeff Akuda, running back DeAndre Swift, defensive end Julian Okorwa, uh, Julian Okorwa, and guard Jonah Jackson. These guys might end up being long-term players for the Lions, or at least should have long NFL careers. Regardless, nothing helped the 2020 season from being over before it began. At this point, all of the pieces that you tried to build this team around, the, the draft picks that were supposed to fit this defense specifically, and only this defense, um, none of it's working. And that's that's the biggest thing, right, is... Matt Patricia was brought in with a defensive mindset and the defense is worse than literally it's ever been. And nothing, nothing is working. Pass rush isn't working. Linebackers are playing terribly terrible. Um, some of the cornerbacks that you invested in aren't playing particularly well. Justin Coleman is a guy they spend a lot in free agency who played very well in Seattle. Jeff Okuda, a guy they spent a third round draft pick. And yes, it's tough for rookie cornerbacks, but Jeff Okuda shouldn't have been that bad in his rookie yeah. season. And so it's just kind of an unmitigated disaster from the, the get go. And, and yes, it, it does kind of follow the same pattern. They go one and three, they get themselves back to three and three, kind of that same spot they hit every single year. But at this point, no one's buying it. No one's buying it at all. The two, two of those wins came against Jacksonville and Atlanta, two oh. teams that turned out to be terrible in 2020. Um, and so at this point, I think by the bye week when they're one and three, everyone's just like, all right, well, Let's prepare for for the big rebuild because it's coming. Uh, no one was buying it. Patricia was on a short leash and did manage to get to three and three to start the season, but slumped going one and four over the next few weeks to finish four and seven before he was fired and general manager Bob Quinn with him. Offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel was promoted to interim head coach, but COVID forced him to miss week 16, where wide receiver coach Robert Prince would then take over as interim interim head coach Technically meaning the 2020 Lions went through three coaches in one year. The Patricia era crashed and burned, and the fans are the ones who have to pay for it. And that would bring us to the previous and last offseason, 2021. The 2020 season would unceremoniously end the Stafford era in Detroit, and he would request a trade following the season. Sensing an impending rebuild anyway, the Lions honored that request. They would trade him to the LA Rams, where they would swap quarterback Jared Goff along with two first-round picks for Stafford. Matt Stafford should enjoy a final stretch to his career on a winning team, but his impact on the Lions won't be forgotten. Detroit, however, is going to go into full rebuild mode. They cleaned house in the coaching staff and the front office and would go on to hire general manager Brad Holmes, also from the Rams, and head coach Dan Campbell, previously with the Saints. The 2020's Lions story will start there and with draft pick Penny Sewell so the decisions to be made by Holmes and ownership will dictate their future success. It'll be a slow start, but in just a couple of years, the Lions could be anywhere from contending to restarting once again. Either way, I'm interested to see how it goes. In the meantime, I wanted to let Jeremy reminisce about the past decade of Lions football one last time. 
So which one was your favorite season? Uh, it has to be that 2016 season. Um, just all the comebacks were, were insane and incredibly fun. And, I mean, just you, you watch football for entertainment-wise, and they were bringing you as much entertainment as possible. And it wasn't the best team. It wasn't the the one that broke the, the playoff, you know, um, playoff drought, and it wasn't Matthew Stafford's best statistical season. But on a week-to-week basis, you didn't get more – awesome Matthew Stafford clutch performances than you did in that 2016 season. But I would say the 2011 season is probably a, a very, very close second because he also had a couple comeback games. I was actually at his comeback game in Oakland in which he had to go like 94, 95 yards to win on the road in a game that would be the the penultimate game before they, they clinch a playoff game in, in a blowout game. So 2016 then probably 2011, and then that 2014, like I mentioned, was probably the best team that I saw in the Matthew Stafford era. Which season had the? Which season was the most damaging long term? Probably 2018. I mean, the, the the decision to hire Matt Patricia was really the be as as you said the beginning of the end for the for the the Matthew Stafford era. I think that will forever be a, a demarcation point where Lions fans will look back and be like. If we had done a more thorough search there, if we had gotten someone else, would Matthew Stafford have stayed? And if he goes on and has success for, you know, with the Los Angeles Rams, maybe wins a Super Bowl over there, it's going to be that that decision in that moment that people are going to look back and be like, could we have gotten a Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford here if, if we had made the right choice there? Which decision, not counting the Nakamadong Sioux mess, uh, be it a draft pick, a free agent signing, not re-signing somebody. Which one was the most baffling at the time? Hmm. I don't. I don't think it's revisionist history to say the drafting of Eric Ebron. Uh, you know, like I said, tight ends in the top ten were, were not something that you you looked at and, and saw that often. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like everyone knew Aaron Donald was going to be who he was. Sure. Everyone had concerns about his size, and and it had been unprecedented for someone like him to to have the kind of career that he ended up having. But even even so, I think there were a lot of questions about whether tight end was that big of a need, whether it's that impactful of a position, at least at the time, for a team that needed impactful players. And so I think that's a, a fair kind of point to look back at and, and and wonder if the Lions made the right decision even in the moment. Yeah, I don't think it was revisionist either. I don't I remember that kind of not being the most exciting pick for Lions fans or for anybody, really. Uh, right. so yeah, I don't think you're revising anything there. Uh lastly, what move do you personally do different if you're in the GM booth at any point during the Stafford area? What's the what's the one that what's the one move that you would have made? Something you really wanted Detroit to have done that they perhaps didn't um, I, I guess it would be to, I mean, it, it's tough because on paper, a lot of th- things they did was right. Like we, we, we were all hammering for the lines to finally get a run game. Well, as we said, kind of the entire time, like they were spending high draft resources on running backs. They were spending half high draft resources on the offensive line. They were trying, they were just weren't getting it right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I guess maybe the, it, it would kind of, be the opposite is, is to to build a better defense to spend higher draft picks 
on high impact play players on defense, whether they're pass rushers or cornerbacks or, or good linebackers. They they really after that twenty fourteen season just had no good playmakers beyond Darius Slay. And it showed. Um and you know, the best way you can you can help a quarterback is is to make it so he doesn't have to come back uh, yeah. eight times a season and make it so he doesn't have to play a perfect game and, and you know, be a guy who throws the ball 40, 50 times a, a game like he had to be. I mean, in order for this team to succeed under Matthew Stafford, Matthew Stafford had to be damn near perfect. And it's it was just unrealistic to expect that from the get-go. And so if the Lions could have done a better job and I know this isn't very specific, unfortunately, of an answer, but it's just get more playmakers on defense. If they could have done that, I think Matthew Stafford could have had more team success here. I could see that. It doesn't even have to be locked down defense. You know, you just create more turnovers, getting the ball in his hands more. You know, that's even better. That's a step sure. up. So, yep. That is all I got. So, uh, this is exactly what I was looking for. We got we were pretty expansive over the whole decade. You told me a handful of things I didn't know. So, I get to incorporate that. <laughs> chop that interview straight into the pod itself and uh yeah thank you so much man that was very informative yeah no problem that was that was fun I, we we thought it might be fun to kind of dig back and you know pulling back some memories that i that i hadn't thought about in a long time <laughs> um but yeah it is man I, i'm gonna miss that guy he was oh yeah he was a lot of fun and we didn't really get too much into the grittiness of him and just like him playing through all the injuries that he did a lot of a lot of times, some of the um, collapses that they had toward the season could kind of be attributed to, to some of those injuries. You know, he had a finger injury that that he had to wear a, a sling on, or I guess you could call it a sling. I don't know. I don't know what you call. Yeah, that little. Um, I know what you're talking about. I don't know what we call it either. Yeah, he had a glove at one point that that adjusted things, and yeah, I, just, I, I guess the thing that I hadn't realized was the the putting back back to back seasons together, like. If they could just have any level of consistency, of of whether it's good luck or draft picks hitting on in more than just one season, uh, things could have looked turned out a, a heck of a lot different. Yeah, and that's why I like looking at usually the the team building aspect. You know, you really see the pieces that kind of make or break teams long term. You know, those uh, moves rarely actually turn out that year. It's the years after that they make it. Like 2013, they had a good off season. Like I thought their free agency was good. You know, and 2013 they didn't do anything 2014 it all came together so right looking back i feel kind of bad i focused a lot on the negative things and jeremy took it in stride and was a fantastic interview so i can't thank him enough for giving me all the information that he did obviously there was a lot of missteps over this past decade but it's impossible to ignore how good of a football player matthew stafford was over this time when a good roster came together as it did about two maybe three times the Lions were a really good team. They got unlucky at the worst times, but they were legitimate threats in, I'd say, 2011 and 2014. But rain or shine, Stafford was the ultimate constant, despite coaching staffs that did completely different things, different from the other ones, completely restarting. There was a lack of running game consistent in the, in the team, or, or the offense just having to make up for the defense. Stafford was there to give the Lions a chance, though. A gunslinger, one of the toughest players in the league. I'm glad that Lions fans got to experience him for a decade and had a reason for hope each season. I hope Stafford gets his chance at a ring with the Rams, and I hope this trade sparks a strong rebuild and future success for the Lions. Mm-hmm.